Let's jump into uh, the passage that we read here this morning in Colossians uh, in chapter two, verses one through 10. So, you know, we're making our way through uh, Paul's letter here to the Colossians. And right at the end of chapter one, he spoke about warning and teaching every man that he might present everyone complete in Christ. And so here he is, in a sense, just continuing uh, that thought. So Cheryl read to us from the New King James Version. That's the normal um, version that we read from and teach from. But I'm going to be using the Christian Standard Bible this morning. And I want to just read really quickly over those same verses. Obviously, it says the same thing. It just says it in a little bit of a different way. And I want to use uh, some of the words and, and ways it is worded. Uh, as we look at the text today. So really quickly, Paul says, I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of the mystery of God who is Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing in it with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ and you have been filled by him or made complete in him who is the head over every ruler and authority. So, all throughout the history of the church and all throughout our individual lives as Christians, the devil is always at work trying to undermine our trust and confidence in Christ and trying to get us to shift our faith from Christ alone to something or someone else. And that is the danger that Paul is addressing here uh, when he's writing to the Colossians. This was what was happening to them. Uh, there were these other voices coming in and they were trying to draw people away not, not from Christ entirely. It's okay to have Jesus in the picture still, but they were trying to draw away their full confidence in Christ. Uh, they were trying to undermine the, the total sufficiency of Christ for the Christian life. And so Paul is addressing that very thing here. And so we're going to walk through these 10 verses, but let's just break it down this way. In verses 1 through 5, Paul shares his struggle and deep desire for them. In verses 6 through 7, he instructs them on how to continue to progress in their relationship with the Lord. In verse 8, 
he warns them of the danger of being led away by human ideas that contradict or detract from Christ. In verses 9 and 10, he reminds them of their completeness in Christ. So that's the, uh, that's the way we're going to approach it here today. So beginning, first of all, Paul mentions here his struggle. He says, for I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you. And um, this word that Paul uses here um, in the New King James that says the conflict I have, uh, it's the word that actually it, we get our word agonized from. And so Paul is, uh, he's, he's deeply uh, engaged in, in this battle, this spiritual battle for the Colossians and, and for them to maintain their position in Christ. Because as I said, we have an adversary. Your adversary, the devil, uh, goes about, Peter tells us, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Paul understood that. So part of what Paul did was he struggled for them. And I think what we could conclude from uh, his, his reference to struggling here, this is where he prayed for them. He prayed for these saints in Colossae. Now, remember, and he mentions it here, he says, um, I'm praying for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person. So this is an interesting thing. You think of uh, Paul is, he's, he's laboring in prayer for these people that he has never seen. And that is uh, commendable. And, and of course, this is something that all of us as believers can do. And this is something that, uh, especially those who are in positions of church leadership, pastors and so forth, this is something that we do as, as part of our ministry. Our ministry is not simply to give Bible studies, to preach sermons, uh, to you know, even go out and do evangelistic uh, activities or whatever. Um, that is part of it, but it's also to pray. It's to pray and to labor in prayer for the people of God. And uh, remember, Paul, again, he's praying for people that he's never met. So sometimes we can limit our prayer to just our circle of friends or, you know, people in our church or, you know, even as a pastor, I might just say, well, I've got enough to pray about for, with my own church. So uh, I don't have time to pray for anything else. But this is where we want to have that bigger vision of, of God's people um, all around the world. And we want to pray for uh, everyone. We, we want to struggle in prayer for them. And, and that's a point that we have made here uh, at our fellowship to, to make sure we have a broader perspective, to make sure that we are not thinking that we are the only Christians. And, and we would not even necessarily consciously think that, but sometimes, you know, out of sight, out of mind, we can forget that there are other people. Uh, you know, personally, I have friends by God's grace and kindness to me. I have friends who are Christians and in ministry literally all around the world. And I have to say that in, in looking at this passage this week, I just, I was convicted that I don't pray more. And so um, just a good reminder, Paul is praying for them. 
that's, that's the way he's uh, struggling for them. Uh, it's in prayer. And this is what he desires. He says uh, that their hearts may be encouraged and that they would be joined together in love. So that's Paul's prayer. Hearts encouraged and that there would be love among the people of God. Wow, this is so uh, important to pray for. You know, we're living in a time of, of great division. The whole culture is divided. It's like every man has risen up against his neighbors, so to speak. And, um, and, and unfortunately, this is true in the church as well. And um, I, I read something funny on um, social media the other day. Somebody put out a tweet and said, you know, my parents told me about when the church uh, split in their generation, how the church split over um, the issue of carpet. Uh, were we going to, you know, keep the carpet or pull it out? He said, um, I'm going to tell my kids later uh, how the church split over mask. Uh, you know, wearing mask or not wearing mask. And, and these are the kinds of things that so often happen. Paul is praying that there would be a, um, a love amongst the people of God that would join them together. And that's what God's love does. You know, God's love unites us. And when we're disregarding just that, that, that great command of love, then we're easily divided because we're not really thinking about what uh, the other person's concern is. We're just thinking about ourselves. But if we're loving one another, then that is going to join us together. So Paul wants their hearts to be encouraged. He wants them to be joined together. And then he says this. He says, so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, who is Christ. So all the riches of complete understanding. That's an interesting uh, sentence here. Think about that. Um, when we understand something, anything, you know, if you don't, let me take it this direction. If you don't understand something, then you're, you're not going to see all the, the benefits of it, all the blessings that are contained in it. Uh, but, but it's when you come to understand something, you know, it could be anything. Just, you know, here's something, I, I don't really get this. And then suddenly everything clicks, you figure it out. And you're like, oh my goodness, yeah, this, this makes total sense. And now as a result of that, wow, what, what a blessing. Um, well, that's true with spiritual things as well. You see, if I lack understanding, then I'm going to miss out on the richness that's actually there. So Paul is praying for them that they would have all the richness that comes with complete understanding and with the knowledge of God. And now he says, um, he specifies, uh, the New King James Version says, of, of God, both of the Father and Christ. Um, all other translations just, just have Christ. Uh, but it's interesting because the point is that God is Christ and that we would be 
growing in our understanding of him. And as we do that, that brings richness into our lives. You know, I wonder how um, deprived we are so often because we're spending so much of our time on trying to understand all kinds of other things. It's not bad to understand things. Some things we absolutely have to understand. Some things we should understand. But we should mostly desire to understand the Lord and who he is and to grow in our um, relationship with Christ through understanding. And so Paul, that's his prayer. And then he just simply reminds us in verse three, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm going to come back at the very end and touch on this, but just think about that for a moment. Paul is saying in Christ is God and in Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Wow. All, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is God. He's the maker of all things. He knows everything and we are connected with him. So Paul then, from there, he goes on and he says, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable, uh, arguments that would take you away from full confidence in Christ. Uh, for I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. The good news is that the Colossians were uh, they were resisting these efforts by the false teachers to come in and they were maintaining a good solid um, relationship with the Lord and one another. Paul is commending them for that, but he's also encouraging them, Let, let's keep it going. And so he says in verse six, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. That is what salvation is. It is a receiving of Christ as Lord. And understand that Lord is, Lord is really his title. And Lord means he's the ruler. He's the sovereign. So when a person receives Christ Jesus they receive him as Lord. You know, it was Charles Spurgeon who uh, pointed out that in the book of Acts, only two times is Jesus referred to as the Savior. Uh, some 103 times he's referred to as the Lord. And I, I say that because, you know, sometimes people, uh, they try to make that distinction. They say, well, you know, Jesus, I've received Jesus as my savior, but, you know, I've yet to make him my Lord. But the truth of the matter is, um, Jesus is Lord. When you receive him, you receive him as Lord. Now, you might not be living like he's your Lord. That's a possibility. You might be, not be submitted to his lordship, but know this, he is the Lord. And at some point, that has to be manifested in all of our lives. 
We can't go through our lives with this idea that, well, you know, Jesus is my savior. One of these days, I might make him my Lord if I get around to it, but I'm, I'm so thankful that he's my savior. No, it doesn't work that way. Uh, Jesus is the Lord. He's our Lord. If we've received him, we've received him as Lord. And that means that we are to submit to his authority in our lives. But then he says, receiving him as Lord and uh, continuing to walk in him. Continuing to walk in him. Remember in the first chapter, we saw that same thing. If you uh, continue. So this idea of continuing. The Christian life is a, is a life of continued faith and uh, obedience to Christ. That's what the Christian life is. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is a person whose life is marked by continuing to follow and submit to Christ. And, and so he says, um, he gives some pictures here, uh, being continuing to walk in him, being rooted and built up. So two different pictures Paul uses. Rooted is speaking of a tree whose roots go down into the soil. And so that's how we are to be. As we walk with Christ, our lives are to become more and more rooted, like a tree whose roots go down deeply. You know, some trees, uh, a problem with some trees is their roots don't go that deeply. And uh, as a result of that, there's some instability there. You know, we have, in our area, we have uh, a fair number of eucalyptus trees. And one of the things about eucalyptus trees is that the roots don't go uh, deep enough to a lot of times uh, sustain the, the growth in the other direction, the heights. And a few years back, um, actually right here in our community, there was a eucalyptus that uh, fell over because of the shallow root issue, landed on a car and crushed a young woman to death. And uh, we can see, you know, the problem that exists with uh, trees that, that, that their roots don't go deep. Um, maybe it's been a while. I know it's been a while for me, but, you know, think of the tumbleweed. Um, when I was a kid in, where I used to live in Los Angeles, um, there were these, you know, open fields and, and they would get overgrown with tumbleweeds during a certain part of the year. And then... Uh, summer would come along and everything would dry up and winds would come and the tumbleweeds would just, they call them tumbleweeds because they just are, are blown in the wind. And, uh, but if you ever look at a tumbleweed, you notice that the root is very, uh, it's a very small root. And so when the wind blows, uh, the tumbleweed is at the mercy of the wind. It just goes with the wind. And that could also be a picture of what happens sometimes in the Christian life. And, and that's why Paul talked about people who were blown by every wind of doctrine in all these different directions. Why? Because they weren't rooted. And so we want to have our roots going down deep into the soil of Christ. And then he says, and built up in him. So roots going down deep, being built up in him, established in the faith, Paul says, and growing in thankfulness or growing in gratitude. 
established in the faith. This is how we are established in the faith, by sinking our roots down deep. Remember the, the great um, promise of Psalm 1. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, they meditate day and night for they shall be like a tree firmly planted by the rivers of water who will bring, whose leaf will not wither, who will bring forth their fruit in its season. Whatever they do will prosper. So, who is that person? That person is the person who delights in God's word. That person who makes the word of God um, the, the priority in their life. So when we're talking about being established in the faith, that's how do I do that? How do I get those roots down deep? I, I let God's word work in me. I, uh, I subject myself to it consistently and as a result of that, my roots go deep. I become like that tree planted by the rivers of water. Now, in verse 8, Paul now gives the specific warning to them where he says, Beware or be careful that no one take you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than on Christ. So what is Paul talking about here when he speaks of philosophy? Um, a philosophy is a very, it's a, it's a term that's very broad, obviously. We can talk about classic uh, philosophers and their philosophies. Uh, we can talk about uh, somebody's philosophy of life in the sense of um, how they approach their life, uh, how they take care of their bodies, the kinds of foods they eat. Uh, you know, sometimes we talk about uh, our philosophy of ministry, even here at the church. And when we use philosophy like that, we're, we're talking about, you know, just a, a way that we view things and a way that we, we do things. Um, Philosophy is not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be a bad thing. And I love what C.S. Lewis said. Uh, he said, good philosophy must exist if for no other reason than to answer bad philosophy. So, so there is a, a place for good philosophy. Paul here is talking about uh, bad philosophy. And what that bad philosophy would be in Paul's day and in our day as well is simply this. Human ideas and traditions that contradict or detract from Christ's person and work. So this is a kind of philosophy that Paul's talking about. Any philosophy that would, that would uh, detract, any philosophy that would contradict um, Christ, who he is and what he's done, that's bad philosophy. That's the philosophy that Paul is saying to be on your guard against. And so we could uh, put it like this. Any idea, doctrine, person, or movement that says you need Christ plus this, that, or the other thing to truly be saved, enlightened, fulfilled, or to reach 
the ultimate in spirituality, uh, that would be the kind of philosophy that Paul is warning us about here. So this, this is the problem in Colossae. Like I said, they're not saying that get rid of Christ. They're just saying, well, Christ is good, but he's not good enough. Uh, Christ is fine, but you need to add onto Christ. It's, it's Christ plus something. So anytime in any place where uh, somebody comes up with the idea that it's Christ plus something that you need as a Christian, that's, a, that's a, an idea that you want to stay away from. That is an idea that is just rooted in um, human uh, arrogance and deception. And let me add this because it's relevant today. Anyone who says Jesus was wrong about anything, uh, anyone who says the apostles were wrong, anyone says, who says the Bible is wrong, then tries to give you their version of spiritual reality, reject that. Just automatically reject it. Don't even give it uh, a second thought. Uh, it's nothing but empty deceit, no matter how sophisticated it sounds. So, th so this is what Paul's talking about. Don't let anyone lead you away from Christ, take you captive, he says, through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition and based on the elements of the world. Uh, some translations like the ESV and the NIV uh, hear elements of the world. Uh, it reads elemental spirits. And that is a way that the word could be translated. And so the idea there is that back behind all of these things are spiritual forces. And I think that that is accurate. And that's why I started the message today with a reminder that the devil is the one who is always trying to move us away from our confidence in Christ. So Paul says, be careful, uh, be, be, uh, be on your guard against uh, philosophy and empty deceit, uh, human tradition that's going to move you in any way, shape or form from full and complete confidence in Christ. And so he goes on and he tells us why. He tells us because in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. That's a New King James here in the CSB for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. So, the, again, if, if we understand who Christ is, then any idea of moving away from him in any way or adding anything to uh, your trust in him in order to help you be more spiritual or more accepted or whatever the case, um, if we understand that in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the deity, then we understand how just the, the idea itself is absurd. Jesus Christ was not one of many emanations from a God 
that was beyond their reach. That was the philosophy in Colossae. Remember, we talked about that early on. The particular uh, philosophy was that, and this came out of uh, some Greek philosophical thought, that God himself was so great and grand and transcendent that no person, no uh, human being, nothing material, because in their mind, material was automatically, uh, or, or material is equivalent with corruption. So material, all material is corrupt. God is incorrupt. So there's no way that we could actually ever hope to have a direct relationship with God. And God was so transcendent and so vast and so perfected that there had to be all of these uh, great numbers of emanations before we could even um, have any revelation of God whatsoever. And the teaching now among some was that Jesus was one of those, maybe even the final one, maybe even the ultimate one, but he was one of many. So again, that was not the case, but let's take it beyond that. He was not one of a few enlightened ones like Buddha, because you see, it's the same thing. People say, uh, you know, coming at it from a different direction, but people say the same kinds of things today. People say that, well, Jesus, you know, Jesus was one of those enlightened people like Buddha. But that's not what the scripture says. He was not one of the enlightened ones like Buddha, uh, nor was he one of the great thinkers of the ages like Socrates or Plato or Aristotle, the most well-known names in the, uh, among the Greek philosophers um, he was not even one of the great prophets like Abraham, Moses, or Elijah, even though he was a, a prophet, but he, he's not in that category. That's the point. He's not in that category. He was none other than the one true and living God clothed in a human body. As Charles Wesley so amazingly put it in um, his great Christmas hymn, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail incarnate deity. He is God in a human body. And that's exactly what Paul says here. For the fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. So, I mean, just think about it. If Christ is the totality, if he is the ultimate reality, if he is the, the end of everything, then how could you possibly need something other than Christ? That's Paul's argument to them. And so he says then, he says, after having told us that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, he says, and you are complete in him who is the head over all rule and authority. So far from this idea of Jesus, again, being one of many emanations, Paul says, no, he is the head over everything. He's the head, you know, because in the emanation idea, the idea was that these were sort of like angelic beings and Jesus was like that as well. 
You know, it's interesting because we can look at today, we can look at the Jehovah's Witnesses who basically will tell us the same kind of thing. And the Jehovah's Witness uh, heresy is actually a heresy that goes all the way back to the early uh, history of the church, the Arian heresy that, that the ideas in Colossae fully developed to a few centuries later. And, and, but yet we find it with us today. So uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, would say that Jesus, well, he's not God. He's uh, a God. He's probably Michael the archangel. And, um, you know, trusting in him is fine, but you also have to, um, in their case, you know, you have to become part of their organization, part of Kingdom Hall. Um, we have the same thing with Mormonism today. It is pretty much the same thing. Jesus, uh, he's, he's one. Um, he's important, of course. Mormons will even use all the Chris, Christian terminology. But in order to really be right with God, you must add um, the, the doctrines of the Latter-day Saints. You must become part of that in order to find ultimate salvation. So we see that no, nothing's changed. And... There, these kinds of things are, are still among us. And Paul is saying, don't be led astray by any of these things. You are complete in him. In Christ, we have reached the pinnacle of reality. Think about it. In Christ, we've, we've reached the pinnacle of reality. He is, he is the ultimate. There's nothing beyond him. There's no further to go. We've arrived at the final and ultimate destination. You can't go any further. Christ is the ultimate. And this is the one that we have a relationship with him. And just think on this for one moment. You are complete in him. If God himself who made all things and made us and redeemed us, if God himself says, you're complete, then why would we for a moment think that we needed anything else? No, we are complete in Christ. That's the key. We're in Christ. Remember last time we looked at Christ in you, the hope of glory, and Christ is in us but we are in Christ. And because we're in Christ, who is complete, who is the ultimate reality, we are complete in him as well. So you know what that does? That allows me to rest and to rejoice that I am forever complete in him. I, I can rest. I can cease striving in the sense that I think I've still got to do something to get myself right with God, or I've still got to do something to be perfected. I've still got to do something to be more righteous um, and, and ultimately to be accepted by him. No, I don't. It's already done. So I now, I can rest in the finished work of Christ. I mean, this is Thinking of so many passages in the New Testament, Paul and the other apostles were at pains to communicate this truth. 
because we are so easily led off into thinking that I have got to do something else that's going to help me get more saved or help me be more uh, enlightened or help me be more spiritual. No. All I have to do is just dig down deeper into Christ. I already have everything in him. So let us rest and rejoice that we are forever complete in him, but let us never rest while there are the depths of Christ to be fathomed and the work of Christ to be done. So you see, it's, it's, it's a bit of a paradox. I rest on the one hand in the finished work of Christ, but on the other hand, I'm not gonna rest at all because I wanna go deeper with Christ. I wanna keep searching out the riches of his glory, but I also want to labor in his vineyard, so to speak. I want to labor for his kingdom. There's work to be done like Paul, let us agonize. Remember, that's the Greek word that is translated uh, struggle. Let us agonize in prayer for the church and let us labor to the point of exhaustion. That's what Paul speaks of in the, uh, at the end of the first chapter, that he labors to the point of exhaustion that he might present everyone mature in Christ. Let us labor to the point of exhaustion until Christ's kingdom come in all its fullness. You know, there's, there's work to be done. There's still so much work to be done. There's work to be done all around the world for the gospel to go out. And the gospel, uh, the work of the gospel is carried on through people. It's carried on through the servants of Christ. And so let us not grow weary but let us keep the focus and let us keep serving Christ all the days of our life. And one final thing, one final word of encouragement. Remember verse three, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We don't often think about Jesus this way, but we really should. Jesus is the most intelligent person that ever lived. There's no disputing that. It can't even be uh, in any way really realistically contradicted. In him dwells all the fullness of God and in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the most intelligent person who ever lived. We desperately need wisdom and understanding each and every day of our lives, don't we? We desperately need wisdom and understanding. We need to know how do we navigate life? How do we get through these crises? How do we understand or handle these kinds of things? And boy, we are living in pretty perplexing times. How, how do I even deal with this. Well, listen, as you grow in Jesus, you'll naturally become wiser and smarter and know better how to face the daily challenges of life in a fallen world. That's, that's just a fact because Christ is in you and you are complete in him. 
And let us never forget this because I, I was thinking about this this morning. You know, it seems like sometimes the more knowledge, just knowledge in general, you know, like Paul said, knowledge sometimes causes arrogance. And, and it's this ironic thing that sometimes the more knowledge we get about God, the more we depend on our own brains and the less we depend on him. And let's get all the knowledge we can, but let's never stop depending on Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge for understanding about anything and everything as we go through life. Let's, let's not forget that. You know, I read the story recently of a person who was, um, uh, they, they were actually putting, they were putting something, something together. They were designing something. And they just, they came to a point where they were just absolutely perplexed. They just could not figure out where to go from here. They were a Christian. And so they paused and thought, you know, I, I just need to step away from this and I'm going to go pray. So they just took some time. They took a day or so and just said, I'm not going to go back to that. I'm just going to pray. And suddenly they just had in their mind the, the clear path forward. It, was, it just came to him like, oh my gosh, this is what, this is the missing part. This is what I need to do. And this will enable me to complete the project. And sure enough, they went back and applied what, you know, that thought that came into their head was, and everything was perfected. Do you know how many times that story has been repeated over and over again historically? Um, it should be recorded more than it is, but so many people have that same story. What is that? Well, we're tapping in because we are uh, indwelt by Christ and because we are his people, we're tapping in to that mind, that great intellect. And so whatever it is that we're facing, whatever perplexity, whatever difficulty, whatever thing, we can come to the Lord and we can say, Lord, I need your help. I need knowledge about this. He might say, okay, go read that book. That'll help you. That'll, that'll get you the knowledge. Uh, he might, in some cases, give like a word of knowledge. Uh, but when we ask him for wisdom, remember, final word here. If anyone lacks wisdom, this is what God said to us through James. If anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask from God who gives to all freely. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Let's ask God for wisdom because in him, in Christ specifically, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so just as we close today, if you, um, you know, if you're, if you're doubting that, that you're complete, but you've put your trust in Christ, then know that you're complete and rest in that. Maybe you haven't put your trust in Christ and maybe you're in the pursuit of, of these things that you're, you're thinking, this is going to help me. This is going, I'm going to attain that, uh, that level of spirituality that I need to attain. Uh, there's, there's nothing at the end of that road. Christ is the goal. Christ is the end. And when you come to Christ, everything else is taken care of. And so if you haven't come to Christ... I want to invite you to do that today, wherever you're at. If you're here on the campus, if you're at home, if you just tuned in and you don't know Jesus, the great God who made you, 
loves you, died and rose again to save you. Open your heart to him. He ever lives so that he can intercede for us and so that he can welcome us in to a relationship with his father. So Lord, I pray that you would bless Lord, your people, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we are complete in Christ. Lord, I pray for anyone who's been in any way led astray by philosophy and uh, human tradition and, and things that would, that would come along and say that we need something more than Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would um, deliver them from that. And Lord, we pray that we might be able to simultaneously rest in the fact that we are complete in Christ, but Lord, that we might also continue to labor for your glory and for your kingdom in the days ahead. And Lord, we pray for our world that's spinning out of control. We pray for the coronavirus situation that you would have mercy and deliver. We pray for the social and political uh, unrest and the racial divisions. We pray for all of that. Lord, we pray that in these desperate days that you would meet people and that you would bring them, Lord, out of darkness into your marvelous light, that you would come with the great power of conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that many all across the land would turn to Christ in the days ahead. Use us in some way to accomplish that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.